This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the five-star novel, What Can't Be Hidden, by Brandon Andrus. When a stranger is captured in the nearby forest of the isolated and restrictive community of Petrida, a dark, hidden secret is revealed. The Petridian people discover that there are others living on the island. While panic and fear consume the town, Thura clandestinely befriends the stranger who gives her hope for escaping the only life she's ever known and finding something she has never experienced before, freedom. What can't be hidden is right on time for this moment. It is a stunning and universal portrayal of a people awakening and coming to terms with the systems that have promised to give them peace and freedom while discovering that these virtues can only come from within. What Can't Be Hidden is available everywhere online. This is Daryl Epp, author of the poetry collections Imaginary Maps, After Hours, Sinner's Dance, and Mechanical Monkeys. And I just wanted to warn you that you're about to listen to another episode of Second Cup with Keith. I hope you're sitting down, my friends. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles. And in this episode, I want to talk about community. Uh, it's really interesting. I, the, the way it kind of came up for me as a topic was last night, I was at this event. It was an interfaith event for Thanksgiving. It was being held in a Presbyterian church, First Presbyterian Church here in El Paso. Uh, I was one of the speakers, but there were people. Uh, it was a Catholic father who stood up and shared it was hosted actually by um, the uh, Raindrop Turkish House, which is a Muslim group here in El Paso. My friend Lutfi uh, heads that up, and he's the one that put this thing together and invited me to come, but also invited people that were Christian, um, people from the interfaith community. So there were Christians and Muslims and Jewish people and all kinds of people there. And it was really wonderful. We all sat around different tables together and had some really great dialogue and discussion uh, we got to celebrate Thanksgiving together as a as a group, and um, my talk was actually on gratitude. And um, the uh, the man that spoke before me was uh, Father Rafael Garcia, and he had a wonderful message about uh, diversity and unity. And it just sparked my excitement about this topic. And it's something I had on my uh, I have a little spreadsheet about for topics uh, that I want to cover in Square One. Uh, sorry, square One. Sorry. Uh, things I want to cover in Second Cup with Keith. And uh, I thought, you know what? This is perfect timing because, uh, man, a lot of stuff he said just really reminded me of how passionate I am about this topic. So I guess one of the first things I want to say about the way I approach community and unity now is very different from the way I was trained to think about community and unity. In most evangelical Christian circles, the ideas of unity and community, in other words, defining who is in and who is out, is 100% all about agreement. It's all about agreement. We have to all agree on certain doctrines. And this is the reason why so many churches, you know, put their statement of faith on their website or, you know, if you want to be a member of the church, you have to go through a new believers class, which is, you know, you have to sit through their their uh, lectures. Maybe it's a, a single class. Maybe it's a, a week or two. 
but you have to go through it. And then at the end, you have to sign a document that says that you also believe these 10 things or whatever. Uh, you affirm these doctrines and beliefs because to be a member of that church, you have to agree with those doctrines. And so, so much of the ideas of like, how do we achieve unity? How do we create community in evangelical Christian circles is all about agreement. You have to all agree on the same, have the same beliefs or have, you know, agree on those same doctrines. And without it, you have no unity. And I just want to say that is, that assumption is false. That is not true. And that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. So first of all, why is it not true? Well, it's not true even in that context, even in those churches that are seeking to achieve unity by, you know, some sort uh, achieving some sort of a quote unquote agreement with using again, a statement of faith, a new believers class, something where you have to stand up and affirm that you believe all these things. And that's what makes you included. Now that's how they, that is how they enforce it. That's the way they define it. Um, and of course, if you ever do publicly uh, voice any views or opinions that are different from those doctrines, uh, you'll probably get a meeting. You might get rebuked. You might get a warning or two. But if you persist in those things and say, no, I really don't believe these things anymore, you will be removed. So um, in practice, yes, your connection to that group of people, to that church, to that community is very much enforced in the sense of if you if you agree, you're in. If you disagree, you're out. So that is the way they define it, and that is the way they enforce it. However, in practice, it just isn't the case. What I mean is, I know this for a fact, so many people who are right now today, and maybe you're one of them listening to this, to this uh, podcast, so many people that are part of churches that had them sign a, a statement of faith, had them agree to a set of doctrines. Maybe you believed it when you signed it. Maybe you believed it when you joined. Maybe you didn't. But even if you did believe it when you signed the document or when you joined that group, over the years, your views on certain things probably have changed. And rather than voice that and be vocal about that, because you know if you do, you'll be kicked out, you just keep silent. And you may still be teaching a Sunday school class. You may still be in leadership. You might be a deacon in that church. You might be, again, a Sunday school teacher or somebody in some, on a, some committee uh, in that church, right? Heck, you might even be a pastor of that church. And I know many, many people who are pastors of churches that expect them to believe certain doctrines, and they don't believe them anymore, and yet they're still up there in the pulpit teaching and preaching um, things that they don't believe, or they've just decided to avoid those topics and preach on other things because uh, they can't talk about what they really believe. So in those situations, let me ask the question, is agreement what holds them together? No. There are lots of people that are still part of that community who do not agree on things, and yet, uh, because of the ignorance of the reality of what everyone actually believes, the, the unity, the fellowship, the community, uh, that religious community, that church community, persists. It continues. People still invite you over for dinner. They still hang out with, sit next to you at the church social. They still invite you to, to teach or preach because they think you agree, but in reality, you don't. 
and yet you are still part of that community. So that's just on that kind of level. It is not true that it is agreement that is what creates unity. It creates the illusion of unity at best, but it is not what creates true community. In other words, it's not truly necessary to have or create any any sort of community around the idea of agreement. And again, my point is that even when people attempt to create unity through agreement, what they create is the illusion. What they've all, all they've been successful in doing is creating the illusion of unity on agreement. They may have actually created community. They might be, but the, the illusion is that that unity comes from their agreement. Because in reality, many people in that community do not agree. They're just pretending to. Because uh, if you're a member of that church, you know, you signed a statement of faith to be a part of that church. Maybe, like I said, in the beginning, you believed it, but down the road, you change your mind. And, you know, your kids are in the youth group or in the children's ministry. They have friends there. They love it. They're having a great time. Maybe you enjoy the worship or something. Um, maybe your wife or your spouse, your husband or someone, you know, really uh, loves it. Maybe you don't anymore, but you know what? You're not going to rock the boat. So you're just going to sit there quietly and, you know, kind of bite your tongue when the pastor says something you don't agree with. You'll be like, mm, oh, I don't believe that, but I'm still here and I'll come back next Sunday because there are other reasons for me to want to be a part of this community that have nothing to do with whether or not I agree with the senior pastor or with the denomination on what they're, what they have decided is truth or reality. Right. And so because of that, uh, it is not true that what creates unity and community is agreement. It really doesn't. I may have said this before in the podcast, but you know me, I like re- repeating things that are that are true or that uh, need to be repeated. So here's one of those things that, uh, whether I've said it before or not, needs to be repeated, and it's this. Every time that the Christian church, we're talking all the way, go back, go back in church history, go back as far as you can in church history. And the pattern we have seen established is every time the Christian church attempted to create unity in the church by creating a doctrine or a statement of faith, what they actually created was division. Because every time you said being a Christian means believing this and this and this and this, there'll be people within that group that will say, well, I believe that and that and that, but not the other thing. And guess what? Well, then now you're out. And what does that create? Division. And then those people that are kicked out because there's that one thing they don't believe, they don't agree with, with, with what you know the initial group said you had to believe. So they're kicked out. Then they create their own group. And then they make the same mistake. They say, well, now in this new group that we, we formed, being a Christian is to believe these things. And then within that group, people say, well, I agree with most of those things, but a couple of things that you just said, I don't agree with, and you're out. So you're kicked out, and now you form a group, right? And it just keeps going and going and going. And this is the reason why, fast forward uh, almost 2,000 years, we have thousands of denominations. We have created thousands of denominations because we have believed the lie that agreement is what creates unity. And what we have experienced is it's actually what creates division. So I want to argue for another way to define community 
and to experience unity with other people. So right now I'm just going to talk about the Christian church. Um, if there's time at the end of the podcast, maybe I'll talk about uh, how it how it uh, could be kind of in those concentric circles, kind of taken outside of the Christian faith, but within the, within the, um, within the Christian faith for now, let's just talk about unity, right. Um, in the body of Christ. So I guess the best way to, to explain it is to kind of talk about my experience first. So, you know, Wendy and I, you may know our story, Wendy and I, several years ago, I had, you know, I was licensed and ordained. I'd been on staff at different churches that we were part of a church in Southern California that Wendy and I had helped with some other friends of ours to plant a church. It was the river, it was the Tustin Vineyard Church. With some friends of ours, we started that church. We were doing children's ministry and compassion ministry, reaching out to the poor in the community. Did that for through about three and a half years. And it was, a, for the most part, a wonderful experience. We'd never been a part of planting a church before. It was great. But then um, there were some things that happened, and we kind of felt like, we, we were called to step out and start something a little different, which was a church that gave everything away, a church that valued caring for the poor in our community, that um, took all the offerings and, and used it to help people living in poverty in our community. And we started this little house church called The Mission, and we met in people's homes, and we did that. And we did that for 11 years, and it was amazing. And, um, and part of that experience of our house church was that we decided early on because of everything I just said, the, because of the realization that every time the church created a statement of faith or created a doctrine, it actually created more division and not unity. We decided, you know what, then we're not going to create a statement of faith. So we lowered the bar on, on involvement, on membership, on being a part of the community, our, our house church community. And we, and, and our, our, all we said was, if you are someone who loves Jesus or is interested in Jesus, fascinated by Jesus, curious about Jesus, and your idea of a good time is to come and sit in somebody's living room for four hours or more sometimes um, and just talk about Jesus, focus on Jesus, sing songs about Jesus, talk to Jesus, listen to Jesus, um, encourage other people, excuse me, in their, um, uh, in their uh, relationship and connection with Jesus help them and and also learn yourself how to follow Jesus in very practical ways all very very Jesus centric and that was it so again that's it if you if that's if you love Jesus interested in Jesus curious about Jesus fascinated by Jesus and want want to spend time with other people also interested in uh, following Jesus or fascinated by Jesus and your idea of a good time is to get together in living rooms spend four hours or more uh Focus on Jesus, you're in. That's it. We didn't care what you believed. We didn't care what your doctrines were. If you believed in, you know, uh, the premillennial rapture or the or the or the mid rapture or the post um, or anything we, or or no rapture at all, we didn't care. We didn't care if you believed in the doctrine of eternal torment or you believed in annihilation or you believed in universal reconciliation. We didn't care about that. Um, so none of those things mattered as long as you were focused on, interested in Jesus, you were in. That was it. Uh, someone called us the miscellaneous Christians of Orange County because um, we didn't have a statement of faith, and someone was trying to nail us down once on, like, well, what does your church believe? I'm like, well, it depends on who you ask, <laughs> because our church is everybody, and everybody in the church didn't all agree on the same things. Now, 
again, I say on paper, uh, a church like that, made up of people, as we were, of Christians from a variety of backgrounds and doctrines and denominational streams, right? We were a church, literally, of people who came from Southern Baptist, Charismatic, Vineyard, Catholic, uh, Brethren, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, you know, everything everything across the board from conservative to liberal and every single thing in between. And we had variety of views on things, right? And so that on paper, it shouldn't work. You should have a lot of arguments. You should have people like every time those people get together, man, they're going to argue about, you're wrong about this doctrine. You're wrong about that. I'm right about this. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says this. But here's what's beautiful. Because we weren't gathered around a a certain statement of faith, because everybody in that group knew that they were in a room full of people who didn't all agree on everything, it, it forced us to have much more grace for one another. We understood that not everybody in that church agreed with us on everything, or even with one another on everything. And so there was there was a level of humility that that inspired and that we encouraged uh, a level of humility that if anybody shared something, you know, and said, you know, we, let's say someone read a scripture verse and then shared, you know, to me, um, I read it this way. First of all, everyone honors that. No one says, no, you're wrong about that because that is how you, you know, we, we let you say, this is what this means to me. This is how this speaks to me. And, and, and that's fine. If somebody, but someone was all at the same time was free to, say, wow, that's cool. You see it that way. You know, I've, I've always looked at that verse, or maybe now I look at that verse in a different way. And I tend to see this verse a different way. And as long as you could share it in a way that was not dogmatic, that wasn't argumentative, that wasn't trying to say you're, you're uh, wrong and I'm right. Um, and didn't engage, that didn't spark some sort of debate over that issue. Everybody was free to do that. And you know what? For 11 years, that is the way it operated. I can't even remember maybe one time, maybe two times that anything close to an argument or just like a strong disagreement over how to interpret something ever came up. Because again, it just, when we came into it, knowing this is a safe place for people to express their views and opinions, but it wasn't about our opinion. Again, the, we weren't there because we all agreed on something. We were there because we all love Jesus. And so we didn't spend any time arguing about theology. It was really amazing. And so, yeah, that, that's, that was our experience. And so because for 11 years, I experienced an incredible amount of unity. Oh my gosh, the, the love and the connection that people had for one another in spite of disagreeing on so many doctrines um, was some of the, it's the best unity and the best community I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it had nothing to do with agreement. It had everything to do with our shared love of Jesus. And by the way, that fits exactly with what we see and what Paul says in Galatians. When Paul says, now in the body of Christ, there is no more, no longer, is there Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, young or old, slave or free, male or female, I'll add gay or straight, <laughs> or any of those things. Like, None of those distinctions in the body of Christ matter anymore because our unity is when we focus on Christ. So 
I would say, uh, and, and at least in our experience, what we just, what we experienced was what we discovered was that we had genuine unity, genuine community, not unity over our the- theology. No, when it came to theology, we didn't have unity, but that wasn't our goal. <laughs> we weren't even going to pretend that we had that, right? That's why we didn't have a statement of faith. A statement of faith would have been, let's pretend we all agree on these things. What we did was say, we know we don't agree on all the, any of those things, and so let's not even pretend. Let's just get rid of that whole thing. We just throw that out. Let's just realize that we're here because we all love Jesus. That's it. That's what brings us together. That's what makes us uh, a church or a community or a body or however you want to express that. And um, and that is exactly what we experienced. It was really beautiful. So, you know, there's this uh, thing about, um, I always say, the definition of hell, on one level at least for me, is to sit in a room with 10, 20, 50, 100 people where no matter what I say, no matter what I, whatever, whatever opinion I express, everybody just nods their head and says, yes, I agree with you. You're exactly right. That's horrible. I don't know about you. I think that's awful. Because how am I ever going to learn anything? How will I personally ever grow if no one ever says, okay, I hear what you're saying, Keith, but here's another angle. Here's another perspective you you haven't seen or considered. Again, it's not a constant argument or debate. It's not that. It's just being in a room with people who have different perspectives and views and giving them all freedom and permission to express those views without it turning into a debate, without without taking this posture of, well, we can't leave this room until we figure out who is right and who's wrong. No, but, but I am free to express what I see or what I think, what I believe. Everyone else is equally free, by the way, children, adults, young, old, doesn't matter. They're free to say, I have this other perspective and, and you then are free to listen to that. And you can say, Oh, okay. I never thought of that. I'll, I'll chew on that a little bit, maybe. Or to say flat out, mm, yeah, well, not for me. Okay. That's fine. You know, uh, pass the, pass the biscuits. It does. I mean, that doesn't matter. We're not here to figure out who's right or wrong, but we are here to allow ourselves to be exposed to different ideas and different views because we recognize that this is how we grow and learn and mature and change. We're all in process. This was an important thing we always uh, talked about and really celebrated in our house church, this idea that everyone is in process. And what do I mean by that? Well, is what we realized is that we're all growing. Part of growth and maturity is we do change our minds about things um, over time, and we should have permission to do that. And so if I encounter somebody who strongly believes something today that I don't believe, but I used to, like, you know, five years ago, I, I believed exactly what you believe, and I, for the same reasons probably that you believe it right now. But I'm not going to say you're an idiot any more than I would say that I was an idiot. Um, I just had a different view, a, a certain view for certain reasons, and I changed my mind. Um, and you have the same view that I used to have, again, for the same reasons that I used to have it. So I'm not going to put you down for that. I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm not going to measure you and your your goodness or your holiness or your righteousness or your rightness uh, in comparison to myself. We've talked about this quite a bit, right? I use it, this is the sort of the George Carlin uh, effect, where you know uh, 
whatever I am doing, however I am driving on the freeway is normal. And so if I encounter someone driving slower than me, they're a moron. And if I encounter someone driving faster than me, they're insane. And we all do that. But what, what, when you do that from a theological perspective, you are saying, I'm not wrong about anything. I'm the one who's right. And therefore, if there's somebody who's a little more ahead of me, progressive than me, they're insane. And if there's anybody that's behind me who believes something that I don't believe anymore, they're a moron. Well, you've just made yourself the, the standard for all truth in the universe. And hopefully you would objectively be able to stop and realize, well, no, that's not true. I can't be the standard for truth. Um, I can't take a position that says I can't be wrong about something. And so, you know, let's try to move away from this whole idea of right and wrong. You know, I, that's why I say in, in my square one course, I say uh, early on, I tell people who are going through their deconstruction process, in all of your deconstructing your theology, deconstruct your need to be right about everything. Let's move on from that. Let's let go of this need to be right. And that is a huge thing. I think that's so important for us to recognize it. it number one, none of us is right about everything. And number two, that isn't the goal. We're not, the goal is not to be right about everything. There's no danger in being wrong or in being right about this or that. It, that's not at all what it's about, right? I talked, um, I'm sure I did a podcast uh, in Second Cup where I talked about embracing mystery, right? And my book, Solo Mysterium, is all about that, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything and recognizing that we have to move away from this idea of being right of saying, you know, um, again, the thing about no matter how many times my, my view changes, I'm always right, you know, uh, to get away from that because that's that's a trap. That's false. That's not that's that's a wrong way to approach God and theology. And so when we think about what we mean when we say that we know God, well, we don't mean like if I say I know God or I know Christ, what I don't mean is I have God completely defined and mapped out and figured out. Because whatever that is, it's not God, uh, as Augustine said. And so that's the wrong way to approach it. That's the mistake. And I, I think that's something that I have moved away from. I don't think about God anymore in terms of knowing God in the sense of that I have all I've God figured out and I'm not wrong about anything. That's not, again, that's not the goal. So what I would say is I, but I still would say I know God. I would say I know Christ, but what do I mean? I mean that I have a, an experience of God. I have a connection with God. Um, there is something about my experience of God that I, I cannot define it in the sense that I know how uh, all about it informationally. But I definitely experience God. So I know God because I have a, known this experience of God, and I am currently continuing to know this experience of God. So it's the difference between episteme in the Greek, which is information, and gnosko, which is experience. So all of that to say, um, I personally have just learned to, to see community and to think about community and unity um, in terms not of agreement, but in terms of celebrating diversity, um, of learning to look for what I have in common with this other person, which for Christians is Jesus. I mean, bottom line, 
if we don't have Christ in common, I don't know what, then we're not even Christians, right? So within the Christian circles, it's Christ. Now, the beautiful thing too is that uh, with between Christians and Muslims, it's also Christ, or at least it's Jesus. They may not call it, they may not use the word Christ, but it's Jesus, the person of Jesus, the, the prophet, the teacher. Muslims love Jesus. And so we can talk about Jesus all day and that's awesome. Uh, so that that's sort of the thing that connects us is this shared interest in and fascination with uh, Jesus. So um, anyway, that's that's something I realized. And I said this last night uh, after Father Rafael Garcia shared oh, an excellent, it was really good. It was really, really good. It got me going. I know my, again, my talk was going to be on Thanksgiving, but uh, he got me going on this unity thing. So I had to jump before I, I was right after him. So when I jumped up, I was like, amen to what you just said. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to say about unity. I had to throw in there before I jumped onto my actual presentation, which was on gratitude and Thanksgiving. Um, and one of the things that he just reminded me of as he was sharing, and I shared this in the group last night, I said, here's this wonderful thing. I said, you know, first of all, don't buy the lie. Don't believe the lie that the way that, 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 um, how did I say it? Don't believe the lie that, that agreement is a requirement for unity. I said, look around this room. We're all sitting at these tables with total strangers, people from different faiths, and we are laughing and talking and sharing and feeling connected to one another. We are experiencing connection. We are experiencing community with one another right now. And we don't agree on so many things. And I said, um, I asked if anyone in the room had any musical experience, you know, can you read music? Do you sing? Do you play an instrument? Things like this, like raise your hand, you know, probably like maybe a third of the people raised their hand. And I said, okay, great. So verify what I'm about to say is true. You don't get harmony if everybody sings the same note. And so it is not true that we achieve harmony by all singing the same note. No, harmony is when different people sing different notes. And it's those different notes sung together that create this other thing called harmony. And what it is is a celebration of those differences. That's what harmony is. Harmony is celebrating the different voices, the different notes, the different tones. And that is really the way I approach it. That's the, what I, for me, this is what I see that, um, the kinds of unity that I have, let's put it this way, the kinds of unity, quote unquote, unity and community that I have experienced in my lifetime. I've experienced community and unity under the umbrella of agreement, usually enforced by a statement of faith. And I have experienced unity and community under the umbrella of accepting our differences and valuing different opinions and voices and um, honoring those who see things differently than we do and seeing them and loving them as human beings, even if we disagree. And I just want to say in my experience of those two choices, of those two approaches to community, I will take the second one uh, the one that celebrates diversity, I'll take that every time. Because I, to me, 
the other ways, the original ways that I experienced quote unquote community or unity as something that was enforced under the threat of lack of agreement, right? Under the threat of being excommunicated because you don't agree. Uh, I found that to be not true community, not to not true unity. And it's such a painful thing. I got to say too, you know, there's so many people who have gone through this painful deconstruction process. It's, it's, it's so sad because so many people raised in the church, you know, we, we use this language like we're the family of God and these people that surround you and they just embrace you and love you and surprise you with wonderful blessings, you know, out of the blue, you're going through a hard time. They're there for you, you know, and it, and when you are in agreement with them, you get to experience all that kind of beautiful love and blessing um, and, and all that stuff, right? Until you disagree. And then the day they realize that you don't agree with them on that doctrine or this belief, all of that is cut off. And suddenly you realize that what you thought was genuine love was conditional you realize that that sense of family and community that you experienced, that you thought was the best thing possible, that there was nothing better, that it was true and genuine and real and amazing, you suddenly realize that because you don't agree with them on one or two things, all of that is gone. That is painful. That is so horrible. Um, it's one of the things that makes deconstruction so, so devastating to people. It's why they, you know, they, you know, I talk about how uh, under normal circumstances, every human being, you need a support system, right? When you go through a hard time, you lose a job, uh, someone gets sick, someone dies in your family, you go through some tragedy, right? You lost your job, whatever it is, right? Someone gets sick, right? all, the, all that kind of stuff. There's a support system. In a healthy, you know, uh, community, there's a support system. There's typically your immediate family, uh, your good, good friends that surround you. And if you're in a church, right, your church community. So if you're in a Christian church, those are the people that show up, that, that show up to the hospital, that send you a card, that make give you a phone call, that show up on your doorstep, that give you a hug, that that are there for you, to comfort you, to encourage you, to help you when you're going through those crises in your life. And so family, friends, and fellowship, the three Fs, family, friends, and fellowship. And the devastating thing is when you as a Christian begin to question your faith, which in itself is painful enough. And those people from all three of those groups, your family, your friends, and your fellowship, suddenly abandon you, reject you, push you away, shun you, simply because you've changed your mind about something, simply because you view something differently than they do or that you used to. And immediately, the support system that you need as you're going through this painful deconstruction process, the ground is shaking beneath your feet, which end is up? When will it end? Uh, this is so painful. This is so disorienting. I don't know what to believe about it anymore. Um, 
you need a support system for moments like that. And sadly, it's that exact support system that will reject you if you're a Christian. For the most part, you will experience a whole lot of rejection from all three of those groups of people if they truly realize that you don't agree with them on something. That's super painful. And so another reason why I just think that we have to redefine, we have to find ways to redefine community and we need to find communities. And if we can't find them, we need to create them. We need to find ways to create communities where agreement is not what it's about. That I love you because of you. I care about you because I care about you. Not about you, what you believe. Not about, I don't love you because you are, for all the ways you're like me. That is conditional love. And there's nothing good about that. Nothing great about that. Nothing remarkable about conditional love. Whether it's conditional love from God or conditional love from, you know, somebody in that support system. Uh, That isn't even true love, I would say. I don't think that is love. If love is conditional, it's not love. Because it starts doing all the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not supposed to do. It starts, what does it do? It keeps a record of wrongs, (laughs) right? Um, It is unkind. It is impatient. It's all these things. You know, Paul says true love, right, is patient and kind. Uh, It it keeps a record of wrongs. Like, okay, yeah, so that's true love and has nothing to do about agreement. So um, if you have never thought about community that way, I hope that's helpful. And... um, and by the way, I think it's possible to start creating those kinds of communities if you have deconstructed, if you've lost that support system that you used to have. You don't have a church family anymore. Members of your family reject you. Maybe some of your good friends don't call you anymore, don't connect with you anymore because you know you changed your view on something. And now you're left without true community. You, I believe it's possible to create some community with people where they love you and they care about you no matter what, and it has nothing to do with your agreement. And in fact, I would even caution you not to just go find another group of people that agree with you on your doctrines, because that's where you are now. Because give it five years or 10 years, you will probably change your mind again. And now that group of people is going to reject you because now you don't believe that anymore. Right? So don't fall into that trap. Don't keep, don't keep moving from community to community that's defined entirely by an agreement on whatever. Um, there are ways to find and create safe spaces for community where that isn't that. In fact, I would even argue that has to be stated up front, like with our house church, being a member of this group, being a member of our house church back in the day, uh, we set it up front. All you have to do to be a member of this church is be somebody who either loves Jesus or is curious about Jesus, interested in Jesus. That's it. As long as you are loving Jesus and as long as you're fascinated by Jesus, you're welcome. There's a chair available right here. Doors open to you. You You're welcome to come in. That's all we we require, right? A very, very low bar. And we just, but we set it up front. We don't expect you to agree with us on anything. Because there was no us to agree with because we didn't define the us by the belief, right? So anyway, I hope that's helpful. Um, again, I want to just say to everybody who listens to the podcast, thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your rating and reviewing and sharing. 
uh, if there's a particular podcast, if this, if this episode, uh, encourages you, blesses you in any way, you know, would you consider rating it, reviewing it and sharing it on your social media? Just say, Hey, check out this episode of second cup with Keith. This was a really great, this really blessed me. Check it out. You know, all that stuff means a lot. It really means a lot. So I want to just say thank you for those of you who have done that and encourage you. If you haven't done that, please consider that. That would be really cool. Um, what else is going on? Well, I guess we're getting near the end of the year here. Uh, I, uh, again, I want to be, just take the time and say, I'm really thankful for everybody who has listened to this podcast and supported this podcast. Uh, if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, questions you have, topics you want me to cover, please let me know. Send me a note. Let me know about that. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, as long as Twitter exists, um, and Facebook. And, uh, and of course on my blog, keithjohns.com. And I uh, hope you have, hope, hope you have all had a great year. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, have a great new year, and I uh, hope you'll continue listening. And uh, this I can get with Keith. Thank you so much. Take care.